This podcast is part of the Feisty Media Fueled is Fast campaign powered by Fuelin. Over the next two weeks, we will be producing content, blogs, and podcasts all dedicated to sharing information and opening a conversation about underfueling in sports. Instead of focusing on being skinny and lean for performance, let's focus instead on being healthy and strong. With this change of focus, our best and most joyful performances are ahead of us. Our partner Fuelin is a training-based nutrition app that syncs with your training plan to make sure you are fueling properly to support your training and everyday life. Head over to Fuelin.com to get started today. That's F-U-E-L-I-N.com. Also, please follow us on Instagram at Feisty Media and join us for an educational webinar hosted by Fuelin on November 3rd. The webinar is about proper fueling and it is free. So watch out on, your, on our social channels and learn how to sign up. The content of these episodes will focus specifically on unintentional and intentional underfueling in sport. This may be triggering to some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, contact the National Eating Disorder Awareness Helpline at 800-931-2237. That's 800-931-2237. I love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura, and I'm here with my co-host, Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, we are recording this on Halloween, a very important holiday in the triathlon community, I'm sure. Um, anything that has to do with candy, nutrition, <laughs> our type of nutrition um, is important uh, in, my, in my opinion. Uh, happy Halloween to you. Happy Halloween, Haley. I... Are you, are you dressed up right now? Are you dressed up as a lime? I am wearing a lime, lime shirt. <laughs> this is just me. This is me uh, as a normal, normal uh, human. Um, are you dressed up as a feisty noon tablet? I'm dressed up as a feisty podcaster, obviously. <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, we just, yeah, we definitely came, came for the show here. It's early. It's early. It's early in the day. It's, you know, we have time to get our costumes up. I heard you had a pretty good costume this past weekend. I mean, good is in, uh, you know, the, we didn't get to go to a costume contest to get judged and have that confirmed for sure, but we did go to a party. So Matt and I did a joint costumes. I love the concept of the joint costume because, um, I think it's just fun to like brainstorm all the ideas and going through that exercise is really fun of like, we could be this or we could be that, but we settled on my first idea I threw out in the brainstorming session, Haley, we were, I was I'm embarrassed to even put this on the podcast. I was a wood stove and Matt was a log. <laughs> this is why you love a joint costume because just dressing up as a wood stove would be odd. But if you have a log there with you, it kind of makes sense, right? A hundred percent. And so I made this wood stove costume out of a box. 
and I took wood from our uh, wood pile. Uh, so for our listeners, I live in Vermont and we are using our wood stove a lot already um, to stay warm, to keep our house warm. And so I've been chopping a lot of wood. I've been stacking a lot of wood, moving a lot of wood, keeping the fire burning a lot. So I'll, obviously like that was on my mind during this whole thing, but um, I thought it'd be a fun Vermont costume as well. And so I used a box and I took some wood and I like hot glued it. I found a hot glue gun that I had. Haley, I hadn't used that in a long time. Hot glued the wood onto the wood stove, painted the whole thing, drew some flames, made like a little uh, window (laughs) with saran wrap. And so that like in front of the fire, it was pretty elaborate costume, I have to say. And then Matt took bark from the wood pile. We pulled off bark of a lot of pieces and then drilled holes in it and then sewed it onto a shirt. And so they were pretty, I mean, for 30 something year old humans, I think they were like pretty creative costumes that we had to tap into our creative powers for. But I, so we showed up to the party and I immediately wanted to get out of the giant box I was wearing so I could like eat and drink and function and not bump into things. And Matt told me I had to stay in the costume for at least one hour. So I was a wood stove for at least one hour. And then I was just dressed as a human wearing all black. Okay. Well, that sounds like fun and very original. I have not seen any other wood stoves or logs walking down the street. So I think, um, I think you get originality points for that. Uh, the other big thing that just happened this weekend was the 70.3 world championship. Did you, uh, watch, did you get a chance to watch? Oh, I did watch Haley. I having these on having it on Friday was really nice. It lined up perfectly with a treadmill run I was doing and the outside plus broadcast worked seamlessly. So I was able to catch the whole race from start to finish. I was not unlike Jocelyn Wong, who was um, running during the entire broadcast. She ran her treadmill marathon. Um, I only ran for an hour and then I just sat on the couch and did some work and watched the rest of the race, but I did watch and I'm assuming you watched as well. Yes. I watched both the the women's and the men's race. Luckily I can swim pretty early. So I was out of the pool in time for the 7.30 AM start. And I was, I I was actually impressed. The last week's guest, Jocelyn Wong, Neil did run a treadmill marathon while watching, but I think she said it like time it perfectly. It was like, she ran like for four hours and (laughs) Taylor Nib race in 403. So very nice timing. She was like chasing, racing, uh, Taylor there at the end. Um, not many other people were Taylor had a huge, huge lead. I mean, huge win American woman, uh, winning both the Ironman world championship and 70.3 world championship. First time I think that's happened and very cool to watch it. And congratulations to Taylor. She just, you know, really, um, did what I expected (laughs) in our preview show, took it out on the bike and never looked back. Yeah, it was really fun to watch. I'm I'm just really, really, well, one, enjoying the fact that there is co- good coverage now of these, these races. And two, I just am really enjoying seeing the women have the racing on their own day. I think we're beginning to see kind of what that means will be happening to the racing. And I think the racing is changing a little bit. I think it's getting you know, people always kind of commented that the women race differently than the men. And we always kind of thought that's because their race is different, right? They're stuck like in between the men and the age groupers. And like, it just, it does, it changes the field and it changes how the dynamics go. And now we're seeing the women racing off the front and we're seeing some things that traditionally, I think people are used to seeing more in the men's race where people are working together, you know, kind of coming together more and grouping on the bike, coming off the bike together. And like, we're having, we're seeing those foot races happen where, 
you know, Lucy Charles Barclay, Paula Finley and Flora Duffy come off the bike together and are running together. Like that was insane. And it was super exciting to be watching that kind of race for the podium be going down. And I just want to make sure our listeners know that I feel like it's because (laughs) the women are racing on their own day, whether that's true or not. But I, I mean, I really believe that. And I think that's going to be a huge advancement for the sport and for the racing. And it's, it's a really, really good thing. So I'm just, I'm beside myself. And so I was really happy on Friday to see another successful race day of, of, um, of women racing and having their own race like that. Yeah. Was there anything surprising? I mean, I don't think anyone that we wrote in or us got the podium exactly right. Um, but you know, but a lot of us had, had, uh, you know, we had Taylor Nib as first Paula Finley was second Emma Pallant Brown run her way there into third. I had first and third, but I did, I had Lucy as second. And so not quite a perfect podium, but getting close there. Um, did anything about the race surprise you? Um, I, so I, I think I picked the three correctly, just in the wrong order. <laughs> um, I don't think that counts as correct, but well, yeah, I guess if I was like horse betting and I had bet the trifecta, I think I would have won some money. So I'm still giving myself some credit for that. And I think Jocelyn did get like one and two, maybe two and three, right. Or something. I don't know. We didn't do terribly, but honestly, even though I have picked Emma Pallant Brown on my podium, I think I picked her for the win. She surprised the heck out of me Um, watching. I think when she like came and ran for third place, I think, you know, that was surprising. Um, I think that was really interesting. I was also, what else was surprising? Were you surprised by any of the clothing choices of people staying warm or not choosing to stay warm? No, I wasn't. Um, the swim cap? I, I think that was oh, a yeah, little surprising. Lucy, Lucy, I know Lucy's like swim cap that she kept on on the bike. That was interesting. I was surprised at how funny it looked with everyone running on grass in uh, yeah. tri suits. <laughs> I mean, I made a big deal about the grass running and I think the grass did make a difference. And, but it also did look funny. I mean, you just don't see that very often people running in tri suits like on a grassy field, especially when it was like you mentioned, Lucy, Paula, and Flora running together. It was just like, this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if I would have changed, you know, if I was in charge and could change anything, I probably would have kept it to like a road course. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it made for an exciting event. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was really fun to watch. Um, did it get you fired up for Daytona Haley? Yeah, no, I am fired up. I think got me fired up for the sport. Like you mentioned and my own racing and, I was also surprised, but one other thing I was surprised that, you know, I, we had talked about Lucy won the race last year, Lucy Charles Barkley in like four double O. And I was surprised that Taylor went four Oh three for the win this year. I thought this year would be a faster because they had wetsuits in the swim. Um, I thought the run course, even with the grass and the punchiness on the golf course would have been a little faster, but I do think that cold, um, did zap some people. And I do think, you know, having to put on jackets in transition and, take those extra seconds. I think that kind of added up. So I was a little bit surprised that the times I thought it was going to be a much faster year, but I think it was cold enough that it it didn't really help that much that it was a few degrees cooler on the run. Yeah, that's true. There were definitely more minutes spent in transition (laughs) this year than, um, than last year. That is, that is for sure. But um, congratulations to all the women who are racing there, I think was really fun to watch. And um yeah we're I guess next year it's going to be back to August or not back to August but it will be Finland August in Finland and so August was that early wow I didn't realize that 
someone should fact check me on that, but I think it might be in August. And um, so before the Ironman World Championship, so we will be back to kind of that structure of the year with having that before um, the race in Kona. And I do think that dynamic, you know, not many women did the double, but um, certainly having, I think Lucy Charles Barkley, having raced Ironman, you know, three weeks before or whatever that is, that would certainly have made a little bit of a difference for her race. Um, and, you know, who knows what dynamics play out differently when, yeah. when it's the other way around. So we'll get to see that. August 26th and 27th in Lati, Finland. So you're right. Late August. That is, that is a little interesting that I wonder if the Collins cup is still going to be like, you know, it's always around like August 20th, 21st. So I'm like, Oh, this is gonna be very interesting, <laughs> but I guess, um, you know, if people are already over in uh, Europe, it kind of, you know, cuts down on the travel time, but interesting to see how the pro race calendar shapes up next year. Cause it is a little bit different, but, um, I enjoyed how this one shaped up where I got to watch from the comfort of my couch while everyone was freezing. <laughs> that worked out well for me. Yeah. Something tells me that, um, Andrew Messick isn't on the phone with <laughs> the PTO checking the race calendars, um, to make sure things are, are cooperating. Um, but like you said, I, I think there, if it is a back-to-back weekend with the Collins cup, I bet we'll see a lot of double performers doing that. Um, and Haley, this week is a special week at live feisty. Well, it's been a special time, um, at live feisty, but it's always a special time, <laughs> Sorry, but we are, uh, iron women podcast is, uh, a little bit behind because we had to do, or well, we didn't have to do anything, but we wanted to do the preview show and get everyone psyched for 70.3 worlds last week. So we are celebrating the live feisty fueled is fast, uh, campaign week powered by fuel in this week. And our listeners might remember from earlier this season, our interview with Elizabeth Inpine, who um, gave us a lot to learn and think about with fueling and sport. Yeah. So we are, our, our interview this week uh, does kind of go along those lines with fueled is fast. And we also have a nutrition focused mailbag. So we are, we're doing everything and yeah, maybe I, I think even Elizabeth Inpine would have been okay with our intro of a uh, Halloween candy, you know, as you know, for as long as you're fueling, I don't think it has to be perfect stuff all the time. Maybe don't fuel all of your activities with Halloween candy, but I think the occasional, the occasional Reese's or Snickers fueled runner bike is okay. I know. Well, I, I hope I occasionally, you mean occasionally many times a week. Um, <laughs> but actually this is Haley, a great, like you said, we do have a, uh, fueled focused mailbag question that came in. So let's jump into that because I do think this leads in good to that question. And it came from Lindy and Lindy is starting to get into some longer rides and she is curious what carb loading looks like for us. And this is a great question. I think it's funny because whenever I hear carb loading, I automatically think to the days when it was like a big thing that like, you know, like my dad would encourage me to like eat tons and tons of pasta, like the night before racing. Right. It was like a, the carb loading concept was, um, was kind of thought of in that sense, but I think it has evolved in kind of realizing that fueled is fast. <laughs> so carb loading kind of all the time, especially for endurance athletes is something you need to constantly be doing. 
Um, so Haley, what about you with carb loading? What is your approach? Do you think of it as carb loading? What do you, what do you do? Yeah, I think kind of as triathlon has become sort of more of a lifestyle for me, I think that along with that, like fueling my lifestyle has been, um, probably gone along with that. So I don't know if I necessarily think of it as carb loading, but definitely fueling my effort. And that is an every single day kind of thing. I mean, I, I don't think I do any sessions ever like unfueled, you know, even I do swim very early in the morning and I will usually make a little bit of oatmeal before that, just because I feel so much better. And my sessions are so much better as long as I'm fueled. And so I, um, I do have some days like on Fridays, I like to celebrate my Friday swims afterwards with uh fancy coffee. And now I've added pancakes quite frequently, especially now that my pool is back open and the place across the street has great pancakes. So I don't know if that counts as carbo loading, but I definitely enjoy those carbs. And I think it does help that kind of does help me because I do usually have longer sessions on the weekend and sort of probably sets a good fueling platform for the weekend. But I think even if you're... I, even if you're doing less, I don't know if it's just long bike rides that require fueling. Yes. So long bike rides do require fueling, um, before, during, and that session. But I think that, you know, all exercise does. And I do think that's something I see a lot of athletes that I coach and myself have run into in the past. Like when you start to taper and you're doing a little bit less and you start eating less, I think that is a big mistake when you have a race coming up. I do think you want to eat basically like normal leading into a race. So that might count as carb loading because it probably is more carbs than you would eat for that level of activity. But, um, I just think the best thing you can do is stand on that start line, like having all your fuel stores full rather than you don't want to stand on that start line feeling hungry. Yeah, I agree. I think that we probably, you know, have different, not different, very similar, <laughs> very similar mentalities in terms of it being the lifestyle and like how much better we feel if we're just, you know, eating before sessions. I think like you, there's, you know, very, I don't, I really can't think of sessions that I'm doing where I'm not planning the fueling before, during, and after around and kind of structuring things that way. Um, and I do, I just feel whether it's a hour of an easy ride or a three hour run, I just feel so much better. And like, I'm, you know, able to actually make it through when I'm, when I'm fueling those things. And so I don't give too much thought, um, in my own personal diet, like in terms of numbers or amounts to hit, you know, like I am pretty much eating to things that I feel like I'm craving or my body wants, or that sounds good. Right. And I'm eating to not be hungry at any given point. Obviously like when I'm in heavy training, yeah, I do get starving sometimes. And, um, that is pretty hard to like, uh, kind of you know, stay on top of, but in kind of standard training weeks, like right now when I'm training probably 12 to 15 hours, you know, like I'm just, I'm eating when I'm hungry and I'm eating till I'm full. And then I'm making sure all of my sessions are fueled on top of that. So, um, you know, like that, I guess my breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like I think of as separate from my, like, snacks around training and during training. Right. Um, I don't, you know, I think like with coaching, I see a lot of athletes that'll say, well, I ate lunch right before this. And, but I'm like, okay, well you would have probably eaten lunch 
anyway, right? As just a normal human to fuel you through like your work day, right? So you can still have a snack during that session um, and maybe have like that recovery drink or something ready too, right? So um, I think making sure that you are just eating enough and eating plenty. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, their hunger kind of can indicate that. Um, but if you don't feel like you have good body cues, you know, definitely looking into a professional who might be able to guide you and kind of get you down that path is is something to look at. Yeah, definitely. Um, but thank you for the question, Lindy. And if anyone else has questions, you can write into our mailbag ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, so along the lines of the Fueled is Fast campaign, um, you know, when you're fueling properly and you are healthy, your biomarkers and your blood work will, <laughs> will kind of confirm that, right? And so I've mentioned this before. I think off season is a great time to check in, do some blood work, just make sure things are feeling good before you kind of start to ramp back up. And that's um, what I did for myself. And so I used Inside Tracker. I, Haley, I did the ultimate test last month. And I also did the DNA kit add-on that they have, and I got some interesting results. So we've talked a lot about Inside Tracker. They've been a sponsor of the show for a while now, and I really do appreciate just how easy it is. Um, you know, right now getting doctor's appointments is actually really difficult where I live. Um, finding primary care is really difficult. And so if I just want to kind of give myself a good check that like, yeah, things are good before I dive back into training. Um, Inside Tracker is a really good option for me. So um, I did the DNA kit and it, this is pretty interesting. So I generally, everything was good, Haley, except my vitamin D was very low again. Um, and my vitamin B was actually really low this time. And they, wait, wait, this isn't from your DNA. This is from oh, no, like the, no. the ultimate test. This okay. is from the ultimate test. But then I was kind of like, I was a little bit frustrated, you know, because vitamin D is something that I have had low in the past on my blood work and I have the supplement for my drawer and I had definitely gotten lazy through the summer about supplementing, but I was like, okay, well it's summer. I'm in the sunshine more. I'm like really trying to make, you know, I was like actually making conscious decisions about not supplementing on top of what I thought was already getting my, um, vitamin D needs met. Right. But then my DNA results came back and it showed that I am genetically actually, um, I have a propensity, I guess would be the right word. I forget the verbiage that they use, but I genetically have a, have a likelihood to be vitamin D deficient, like no matter what oh. I'm doing basically. So that was for me, kind of a good reminder of like, okay, I will just supplement all the time. Like no more. Can I try and think that like, I know what's best because I absolutely feel a difference. Like I I notice a difference when I'm low on vitamin D. And then when I start supplementing again, I can feel my levels getting back up. I sleep better. I just feel better, all of that stuff. So, um, I did find that super interesting. I also think all the other little DNA things they tell you about, like, I'm likely to have a peanut allergy, but I don't have a peanut allergy or like interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, and so oh, I, that thought, was... I really thought it was just going to be like, you're 100% <laughs> like, oh, like, like your what? ethnicities and stuff. <laughs> 
or yeah, like, are you like German or yeah, that kind of thing. So it is not, it is not like a 23 and me or whatever, uh, or ancestry well, or whatever. I don't know. Not like an ones. ancestry 23 and me also does this kind of thing. And it tells you what you have okay. like likelihoods to. And so it's, I almost think it's like more of like a fun thing. And it's definitely not like, you know, they can't tell you a hundred percent of anything. Cause it's, but it just, it tells you what you may or may not like have a likelihood to have like that. Mm, so like allergies, interesting. Yes. So I found that to be an interesting supplement to the ultimate test. Um, and if our listeners, you know, again, off season is a great time to be checking in on your own blood work. So inside tracker.com slash feisty, you can get 20% off of the inside tracker store through that. And let us know if you find something, if you do anything, then you find something else interesting too. Um, I do. I think it's pretty fascinating. All of that, all of that stuff. Yeah. I would not have thought that DNA like could tell you about your vitamin D absorption, but uh, keep up with that supplementation, Alyssa. And then continuing along, we have a great interview for our listeners this week. Yes. So Haley, we are talking to Eloise Duluart. She is a French professional triathlete. She's been racing pro since 2018. And this season she was third at Warsaw 70.3. Then she was fifth at Ironman 70.3 Dresden. And we talked to her as she's gearing up for the 70.3 world championships. Uh, we talked to her about some of her, um, past with an eating disorder and kind of how she struggled with that and, and worked her way through that and where she is now with it. We also touch on some of her really fun YouTube videos that she has on her YouTube channel. And we just talked to Eloise about training life and, and everything. So we will hear that chat with her next. Hi, Eloise. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So we are talking to you about 10 days out from the Ironman 70.3 world championships. So, uh, first, thank you for taking the time, um, and you know, a busy time to talk to us. And I have to ask, what did your training look like today? Um, yeah, it's nuts to be honest, to be 10, 10 days out. Like I, at this time last year, I wouldn't even thought I was doing it. So like, it's super cool, but yeah, today was actually really easy. I'm taking like a few easy days now. And then I like building back into it. So today did an hour in the gym, just doing like activation exercises, you know, general general management of body and then a 40 minute run just with a few pickups and just super light and then just sort of enjoyed sort of sitting on the sofa really it's been a nice day <laughs> so massive of time to do this podcast it's all good <laughs> and you you mentioned this being kind of a exciting time period for you a year ago you didn't imagine yourself in this place we believe you've raced in the 70.3 world championships as an age grouper this but this will be your first time as a pro is that right yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. I've raced in Asia in 2015, had an absolute shocker of a day. <laughs> um, shocker in a good way or shocker in a bad way? <laughs> tell us about, tell us about that. Ex- oh, but you're still top 10 in your age group, right? Yeah. But I sort of, I, I could have won it in my head. I know Lucy Charles is racing and that's a big, big call to try and, but I would have hoped to maybe even be a bit closer to her, but I like overheated massively. And where was that race? It was in Zalamze. It shouldn't have been like, I think it was 35 degrees or something. It shouldn't have been that hot. And it was. <laughs> and I didn't, didn't know heat would do that to you, put it that way. I was naive and young. <laughs> so are you doing anything to prep for, uh, you know, your, your next showdown with Lucy Charles, you know, coming up here in, <laughs> yeah. uh, in St. George, anything to prep for that course or the heat? I'm, um, have you bet raced in St. George ever before? 
No, never. Um, I'm very aware it's like slightly altitude 800, which again, it's just like San Jose. Um, and it can be hot, like I know that. Uh, at the moment, it looks like it's going to be five degrees on race day though, so or Celsius. So that could That's be quite chilly. Hot. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I've been in the sauna just to sort of dot my eyes and cross my teeth. Let's not lie. I'm not going to be anywhere near Lucy Charles this year at all. But I just, for me, I just want to, yeah, tick every box and feel like I've done everything I can do and the performance is fingers crossed my best performance of the year and that's all I that's all I want from this race and yeah I feel like I'm doing it we'll see on race day if I've dotted every I or crossed every T but that's all I can do and you're a relatively green pro still you've been racing for you know a few seasons but with a little COVID interruption and things like that (laughs) so you're kind of now just hitting your stride can you talk a little bit about how you structure your race season I think our listeners really like to hear kind of the different strategies for that and you know, did you go into the season focusing on 70.3 world championships as a targeted race or was that a surprise? How did you approach this season? It was, well, this season, I bear like this time last year, hence why I didn't think I'd be in this position. Like I still was dealing with the hip injury I got at the end of the 2018 like season. Um, and like, obviously, so I didn't race 2019, obviously COVID year. And then 2021 was sort of like, I was like, come on, come back here. I've got, I've got this. Um, so yeah, I did the two races and the end of the season. I was pretty convinced I was going to need surgery to like really try and finish off this hip injury or like close it up. Anyway, I didn't need it. And like two very good people in my, I guess in my team that really helped me get through that. And they were like, surgery would be actually be the worst option. Like we can manage this and it will get better. And they've been right. (laughs) And so this year was about, we didn't pick a race. Well, I spoke to obviously a lot of my coach, but I didn't pick a race until we were confident that it wasn't anything going to regress the hip again. It was like, right let's make sure that you're not running in pain from 10k and then just winging it <laughs> let's be ready so sort of Warsaw came along and then it was from Warsaw that I qualified and I was a bit I was a bit like should I should I not go like let's not lie I haven't got much race experience I this year is a very much a in my head a foundation year like relearn the sport not stay injury free and enjoy it but I thought you know what you've got nothing to lose and you never know what happens this time next year so so I took it and then I replan my season from that. So then I wanted to race Le Sable quite soon after to because I felt Warsaw didn't go very well. Even though I, I qualified, it wasn't a good race for me at all. And so I just wanted a better race. And sort of, again, race practice is, it's very different to training. I think we all know that. Um, so I then raced Le Sable and then took a break to try and then make sure I got to the end of the season, especially given I haven't had a full season of racing for, for a long time. Like last year, yes, I was racing, but it didn't feel as... I guess full on and trying to do four 70.3s in a season for me is massive I think I've only ever done two and been able to walk after two and then thirds always gone wrong so to be have done three and then be like right I'm in a position that again I can have my best race like that the plan that I took was the best to get that get that result and that aim of it so yeah so that's how I plan this year and then obviously I will take a break in my head I'm like oh I'll keep going I'm like no don't do it don't do it so I'll take a little <laughs> break after St George and like just take stock at the end of this year and then next year I really hope that it's like we can build on this this base really and really then maybe start improving a bit more as well <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about the hip injury was it a like a labrum issue or a bone issue or um and you know how how you're you've been able to come out of that yeah sure so initially well, essentially, I have quite open hips. They're not, it's not really impingement. It's more like the opposite of hip impingement. 
And from the start, they said, look, you've got a labrum tear in it. It's a labrum tear. Um, and they were always dangling surgery in front of it, which to clean it up, it's, it looks a very small operation, but the recovery is super long. It's six to eight months. And they said, but you can try to manage it. This was back in what, 2018, at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. And I wanted to go down the conservative route to manage it, um, to try because it was like, surgery is not never the first thing I run to I want to make sure you can try and I found the studio um, who I still work with in 2019 he was like yeah this is all how you move you're very flexible um so you need to have the muscles to support your movement he was like this is a good thing in terms of being a runner being wanting to be air on the bike but obviously if you don't have the I guess the muscle to hold it in place and again act as brakes as well to not cause inflammation which was happening he was like then that's that's the ticket so you've got to do a lot of rehab rehab so essentially I've been working from there and we got as I said it took all of 2019 to get back like running consistently I could do I'd do like four weeks on and then have to take four weeks off again I'd get to like six weeks on and have to take four weeks off again like it would just keep going this information cycle just couldn't quite couldn't quite I guess get over it and then it was in end of 2021 so I was like they keep telling me I've got this labrum tear I like I've managed it now for three years like I'm just going to get surgery that's what I need like let's get this race done which is Portugal and I was like that's it I'll go back to the surgeon and talk through it anyway so I went back to the surgeon he was like yeah we can do it we can do it and I was like oh. I wanted to get a second opinion I was like I've never actually got a sort of a, a surgical second opinion I had my physio who said don't do it and he's the one who's always been right in this process but I was like I just want to get rid of this stupid cycle and I had a second opinion he said yeah don't do it um absolutely don't do it for you he's like yes it's a successful and like I know like Emma Simmons has just had it and back racing amazingly this year and she's a really good friend of mine like it, it works it's a good it's a it's a pretty successful operation even though it's a long rehab but he's like for you because you've got these open hips it'll actually ruin a lot of tendons and ligaments that you need <laughs> you need because you've got these like open hips so then I thought right that's it we'll just have to go back to the drawing board and still working with the physio I said we changed the plan completely and since I started running again beginning of January and since then touch wood it's been manageable and we've only had two flares up this year so this has been my best year running I feel like slightly older on myself again I still got to do a race day but yeah so it's been a long process but it's that sort of I'm always one to gather the right information speak to the professionals um and really try and work out what's the best answer and again just not lose hope even though I probably <laughs> feel like it's been a long run but no, um, I feel like a, it's a good place right now so fingers crossed so what does your like do you do like prehab or like do some kind of warm-up before every run or cool down or you know extra physical therapy specific to that yeah so I do I call my like admin like because they're like emails at the end of the day like a job you've got to do them but they're not your favorite but you have to do them is my admin sessions and there I got three like non-negotiable physio sessions a week which like if I want to run pain-free I have to do them so it's sort of these very niche uh, I've been told that he's never given them to anyone else niche sort of like hip exercises so, so small openings with a band like closings and engaging the abductor because that's one thing that wasn't at all engaged back in 2019 he said you've got no abductors working at all so a lot of abductor um work and then yeah essentially the very small muscles around my hip and stability and a lot of proprioception of my feet as well and balance exercises because it all starts in the feet that I've learned <laughs> all goes up into the hips and especially with like things like carbon shoes you all the shot goes upwards with carbon shoes so it's like you need to be even stronger from 
the foot upwards into calf thousands of calf raises all the time um but yeah that's sort of that's sort of my structure it goes from super niche in the hip to then those bigger more like standing on one leg type that a lot of people do do in rehab and prehab but they're sort of part of the core the core plan and then once a week I'll do a, a bit heavier weights I say that's not like they're not heavy <laughs> but it's more of those sort of more compound movements to then build on that stability to then have the core strength there as well um but yeah there's my email those are my emails <laughs> I love that. I think I'm going to start referring to my like, yeah, mobility stuff as my, my admin routine. Um, and Eloise, it certainly has set you up for a season this year, which has been like pretty, you know, standard, I think by pro standards, it's been really great. Well, like your podium at 70.3 Warsaw, even though you said like you would have, you thought the race could have been better for you. And then you had some low moments. You had a, a DNF at Zell MC in August. So it seems like though you did bounce back from that um, really strong with a fifth place at 70.3 Dresden just three weeks later. So kind of what was that like to handle the highs and the lows of the racing again and, you know, putting together this longer season physically, it sounds like you're putting the puzzle pieces together. What about mentally? How did you kind of handle that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's, it catches me out a lot because obviously when I stop and I think about the last two years, I think about last season, I think about where I'm at, it's very easy to then be like, your season, like you would have dreamed of this, like this is insane, like, and this is what you couldn't expect anymore. Like I couldn't expect anymore. I'm like, this is great season. And just, as I said, like where I want to need to be this year. But then it's obviously, it's that day-to-day -day mental thing is we're athletes, we're competitive, we're perfectionists, well, I am. <laughs> and I also know what I, I think I can do and so obviously something like Zellamse which on paper it really suits me that course in 2015 on as well it should have really suited me um and this year and I was really excited I'd had one of the best blocks of training I've had for years into it I'd done a lot of heat prep because I've been in Italy and finding it fine running at like 36 degrees thought was great um and so I was super super ready for this race and I'd got I'd actually had struggled a bit on the bike this year um and I finally felt a bit like my old me on the bike again like I was going well and then ZLMZ hit and it was it was so bad in the fact that nothing turned up and it was sort of a bit of a not a kick in the teeth because we're we're only human and that's one thing I've learned from I guess the last few years is you're gonna have days where you fly and you're gonna have days where you you're useless and that's part of it and most of the time you're just average and that's okay and so when it happened in Zell obviously on race day is your presentation day you don't want it to happen but it does and I decided because it was worse than even now I'm, I'm all for sucking I'm all for just putting my head down and sucking it up and getting on with it but because it was worse than my worst case scenario I could have possibly have thought of <laughs> I like call it a day given this year and given the fact that everything had been going so well I was like let's just regroup something could be off like this is out of character for me and then the next day I went for a run afterwards and I could barely get to 6k without like being like oh my god what's happening so something was up and like uh yes okay I was disappointed yes okay it's so frustrating <laughs> and you you feel like you're letting yourself down you feel like you're letting a team down you feel like people are going to judge you as an athlete and be like well just another bad result from her again you know but then actually when you sit back and you you're the only one that know your story and you're the only one that's got you to this point so you you can only be okay with it afterwards and 
I decided I wanted to race again before Worlds because I, I always wanted Worlds, as I've said already on this podcast, is I want it to be just the race it needs to be for me. And I didn't want to have a back of my head, a demon that, oh, you didn't finish your last race. Oh, you know, and like, I didn't want that. So I said, let's go to, let's go to Dresden. And I was really like motivated actually into Dresden. And I was like really excited for it. And it went okay. Again, frustrated with my run, it pissed me off, but it's fine. Um, and then actually I found the mental side has caught me out the last few weeks, even though obviously Wild's exciting. And as I said, when I stop, I'm like, oh, that's incredible. But I've really mentally tired at the end of this year and I haven't had that for, for probably like five years. <laughs> and we, I think it's one of those things that it catches up on all of us is you suddenly feel unmotivated, you suddenly feel like I'm tired. And like, again, I've got to go hurt myself again. I've got to go do this again. Like, and then you, you get through that. And it, again, the motivation comes back up, but it's, I haven't had that all year. And I haven't, as I said, I haven't had that five years. So it really, that caught me out. And I think, again, it's sort of, taking that step back and giving yourself a bit of slack that it's hard being an athlete and it's hard coming back and it's hard putting yourself out there and it's okay to feel a bit out of it and I think that's really helped me like this last week of just being like forget about it it's cool like it's okay and at the end of the day we've only got 10 days left (laughs) and also like I do enjoy it but it's okay to admit when it's when it sucks (laughs) Did you, you've mentioned, you know, just knowing something was off at ZLMC. Did you figure out what that was? No, I didn't figure out at all, but my resting heart rate was really high. Like I, I, I now monitor like metrics. I don't live off the metrics, but I, I want an objective thing to compare to just so I have that. This is how I feel what's happening objectively. And then I do that in training all the time. And like, so I do it as well for like HIV and resting heart rate. And that was really high. And that's the only thing that was off like I wasn't sleeping that well and my resting heart rate for a few days into it and then a few days after which is when I felt awful (laughs) was high so I was like maybe I caught something and I didn't know like something was happening in my body but it wasn't a massive red flag and in some days maybe the high that sort of process I would have been fine but I definitely recovered from it and I definitely feel better now. So hopefully it does that again. Good, good. And hopefully you have some recovery time, uh, maybe time in Vegas. I feel like everyone goes to Vegas after St. George. I have not done that, but I do feel like that's the thing to do. So if, I mean, you can always lounge by pool or you maybe if you wake, make a bunch of money, you can try to make some more, but uh, um, <laughs> <Or just> lose <laughs> it. yeah, or just lose it yeah, all. You're like, that. okay, I just made some money in, in uh, St. George and then I'm just going to enjoy some <laughs> poker tables. Um, but uh, Eloise, one of my favorite things to talk to, especially newer pros, like younger pros than me, um, is social media, because it's something that I have a you know conflicting relationship with. And it seems like just from scrolling through, you know, your, your Instagram feed that you have a pretty good relationship. Maybe I'm reading into that, but you, you post, you know, some funny things, some very candid and honest posts. So can you just tell us about uh, your relationship with social media? Do we have that right? Or do I have that totally wrong? And you know, you're like, no, yeah, I, it's, I used to work in social media. So if from that, like, I know exactly what I need to do to perform on a metric side and best practice side. So I have that side of it as a sort of, I guess, a sort of proclaimer onto that. As well. Ooh, what are, what are the um, tips? Tell me what do we need to be doing. How do you perform? So um, it's just been simple things like making sure that on any channel you're on, you're making the biggest possible image an impact that you can so for example like reels like great and but some people don't extend the photo so you put a photo up in this black space 
you should definitely extend it so make it bigger so that catches eye it sort of catches attention it's not small the detail is very eye-catching and stops the scroll at the end of the day you're stopping scrolling and so things like that making it visual and even things like landscape photos I would opt performance wise to make them vertical so they're bigger so if you look on a it's pretty much going back to what looks best on the phone screen. It's small, no one rotates it. It's about sort of making that impact bigger for someone who's viewing it on a small screen and has about 0.003 second attention span. So how can you make someone stop and engage with it? Um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> Okay. This makes me feel a little better because I did ask someone who was like taking photos in Hawaii, they were using my camera and they were doing, you know, landscape. And I was like, can you turn it? And so yeah, no. maybe I'm more onto things than I realize. Yeah. yeah. You're in next career, social media, you're on. <laughs> Perfect. So tell us about your relationship with it. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's one of those things like I give my, I guess my past, I think I didn't have a necessarily good relationship with social media and like public perception of me if that makes sense but right now I I always try and do things that well social media you have a responsibility you especially as an athlete especially as a pro let's say I don't think many people look up to me but like anyone putting something out on social media has a responsibility to anyone who can see it and this is half from me looking in as I said from working from it but also half personally looking in is I don't want anyone to not have a snapshot of what they would have if they were standing next to me so that's why I do try and be varied I do try and post honestly I do try and have a laugh because that's how I am and I wish I hope that if someone ever meets me that follows me on Instagram won't be like surprised they'll be like oh that's Eloise and that's cool you know and I I want that I, I hope I'm achieving it I don't know <laughs> but I do I try and aim for that balance and also it's that social media is such a millisecond in time it's such a tiny weeny telescope of a person's insight even if someone who posts quite consistently which I sometimes go through faces of just can't do it anymore and then can't do it but it's that by being a bit honest and being okay with putting yourself out there is the same as being okay with putting yourself out there when you have a great day like it's it goes both ways and just posting the wins is just as bad as just always moaning if that makes sense so I sort of feel like it I, well, I hope that it's like I'm achieving my aim of being human and also, as I said, being myself. And that, that does mean like some stupid post sometimes. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> and if someone wants to unfollow me, I'm also okay with that. <laughs> and some of the candid things you have shared with people um, is about your history with an eating disorder. And so you have a really raw like YouTube video that our listeners can go and find on your YouTube channel, which is really good um where you talk about that in your own words and we'll link to that in the show notes so that we don't have to kind of rehash everything um here and now um but there are a few moments in that story that we wanted to kind of dig into a little bit because we're talking to you during a live feisty week where we are highlighting red s and female athletes and so it's just you know it's very applicable to hear another perspective on this so I believe that you talk about kind of your first memory of how it all began for you came from like one comment from a coach, I believe. And so I think there's a lot of athletes and coach coaches who are like listening to this right now. And it's probably a good reminder because we're all having conversations with friends and athletes and things, you know, all the time to be intentional with our words and, or maybe just to keep our opinions to ourselves, right. Around body image and weight and things like that. So can you talk just a little bit about kind of the beginning for you and how you found yourself, you know, entering into this cycle with an eating disorder? 
Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's sort of gets mad really. <laughs> but it's that thing is, I guess, when you're young and as getting the way athletes, it's that very much, it's a personality type. And it's, I guess, when I was younger and I, I was a runner, um, you're very aware of what runners look like <laughs> and very aware what the perfect runner looks like. And I think, like, I wouldn't necessarily say I look like a runner, but I'm, I'm just a girl who runs and I'm an athlete. Like, it's fine. And I think when you're younger, you're so, I guess, sort of one-sided of what that is. And also people, people's comments of other things and people's comments of other people, oh, they're, they're skinny or they look like a runner. Like, you're very, like, aware and very, I guess, absorb it really quickly. And I think for me is I was aware that I, I wasn't, I wasn't chubby I was skinny but I didn't look like a runner you know but it was sort of at practice I said when there was when there was this comment is someone as I said I don't even know it was me I do to this day I don't even know if they were talking to me they could have been talking to someone else but I overheard there's like well she's butch and that was just a self-conscious thing I was already holding anyway the fact that I do have quite broad shoulders I'm not naturally the straight up straight down um like as I said I'm not naturally big either like I'm just a normal average looking person um and I think I took that on as well like also it's like self-approving like approval I wanted to seek approval from external sources I wanted to seek approval for my results I wanted to seek approval for being a better runner because that's who I I guess always took it out in sport and so I took it personally I guess and then it's that being aware again in the media I think what is it over 10 years ago there's a lot about being skinny makes you faster that was people I guess think now are more responsible when they write I will call out people who often aren't and that's just not okay or but there were a lot of any running magazine you read or any like online if there was the internet back then I think there was <laughs> it would be it would be like well lose some weight and so when I did my own research and I thought you know what this is super simple like just lose some weight and like it was simple like it's simple it's a simple equation it's simple but I think when you back that up with then this naive perspective one-sided perspective of what you think you need and also what what's going on inside and being self-conscious being being a girl like going through puberty as well like it's easy to I guess take it too far and also being stubborn and a perfectionist that doesn't want to give up on anything <laughs> I didn't know when to stop and I think that's when it turned into from a naive comment and then also a naive I guess research skills <laughs> on what I needed to do it turned into this belief pattern and that's when it gets dangerous and it's reinforced by your personality and then once you believe you can't be wrong that's what's I guess so dangerous about an eating disorder is you hear people telling you reality you're they're lying to you and it's like anyone it's it's yeah again if you believe something it's true if I believe there's a red wall right now and someone's telling me it's blue I'm like it's red you're wrong <laughs> it's red and I think that's that's where it got so muddled it once it went over the I guess over the top there was no real coming back from that without without a real motivation or without a real I guess sort of real change to need to change because once you're in it and for me once I was in it one I got a few results I started getting faster at running it worked but then I started breaking but I think I said it on YouTube is it hurts so much that one I didn't break early enough 
that I was still rational and I could still then pull myself back and be like, okay, that didn't work. Let's just go back to enjoying practice and like whatever happens, happens. But then it'd gone too far that when I was broken, I was like, well, I'm not skinny enough. Well, you've had like two stress fractures. Like that is the problem. But no, for me, it wasn't enough. Like I'm not strong enough because I'm not skinny enough. And then, and then it, yeah, it snowballs. So, so I guess, yeah. And how did you finally break the pattern? And was it a, another comment? Did someone help you or was it something that you just had to figure out yourself? Yeah, it's, yeah, you have like, it's, it was a, it was a moment in time that gave me the motivation to try. Like I'd been trying inverted commas recovery for a long time and I, but I didn't want it. And I even used to think I can't wait till I'm 18 and then I don't. I can don't have to work with these doctors. It's my choice, not my parents' choice. And I generally believe that and generally wanted that, which terrifies me. Um, but thank God I didn't get there. But it's it was I was also a lacrosse player, a runner and a cross pair. And one, I can remember it so clearly. Um, it was about this time in the year, and I was really cross. They wouldn't let me play on the first lacrosse team anymore because I was ill. Probably shouldn't have been doing sport. Like that's not lie. Perfectly clear reason. Um, and I remember bringing my mom like really pissed off, really cross. I was like, oh, I don't understand why they won't let me play. And she literally just said, listen to yourself and hung up. And I was like, oh no, she said, think about it. And then hung up and listen to yourself. I was like, anyway, then I just like it. Yes, okay, that you don't just recover. Like, let's not lie. It didn't suddenly be like, oh, you know what? I'm over this now, moving on. It was then I was willing to try, like just see if the, if, if life, putting on some weight recovery could actually be better I was willing to try and like hey, even the guy who then got me better who was a fucking genius <laughs> he he said look if you just doesn't work for you you can always go back remember so just try and I but I was willing to try before I was I was stalling I wasn't even willing to give it a go I was pretending to but I didn't want it but this I sort of I wanted to try so I gave it a go and best decision I ever made 100% and as I said, it, it scares me, one, how vulnerable I was when I was younger and how vulnerable athletes are. And also it scares me of what, what happens if, the, if I hadn't decided to just give this a go. And, and also like who else is out there? Like what, what can we do to minimize someone else going through that, that pain? Even though it's at the time I didn't see the cost, but it's not only on yourself, it's on everyone around you and I lost friends I like ruined family relationships and only some of them I'm getting back now and it's that's that's the harsh reality is is that it's the sort of you're in a fish tank but actually what's going on outside is what's really important and about I guess trying to mitigate that (laughs) is my aim now And, you know, listening to you speak now, and if our listeners watch the video that you made on YouTube, I'm really confident that they'll like hear the emotion in your voice and see that you still become very emotional while telling this story. And so it's clear how you like, you do feel it's really important to tell your story to hopefully help someone else. And so you've been doing that. Um, And has anything surprised you about like, kind of telling your story to the world? Yeah, it has. And it's sort of in a in a way like I don't I don't really know how to describe it. It's sort of I was scared about admitting it way back. I think it was I can't even remember when it was when I first said, look, this is this is what's happened in the past. 
but I genuinely believe that if I can help one person it's it's worth it it was worth it it was yeah coming out through that it was worth it if I can help one person and I think when you when you put yourself out there the comments and the sort of replies I got was only like not only love but also then you get someone in your dms being like oh my god I'm in the same situation or is it really worth it or I'm now suffering from a stress fracture too like help help me now and even like someone this year a fellow pro and like talking we were talking about stress fractures and I was like this is what you need to do if if you don't have your period or or this is like you need to take it seriously and I hope that my experience might help someone in that in terms of yes okay everyone is different don't get me wrong everyone's whether they have an eating disorder or not is going to be different to mine but it's that that health aspect is if someone can hopefully give you an experience that saves you a few years or saves you a few months you don't have to go through the extent of the I guess the low points then that that is worth it and as I said like I've had some amazing people reach out not only to support but also to to ask for advice or even just say thank you you've helped me like want to try or help me want to get healthy because I do believe it's right which it is (laughs) but it's sort of yeah um yeah I just really hope it can help someone Molly Seidel who you know Olympic bronze medalist in the marathon has you know she's come out about her own eating disorder in recent years and I think she mentioned that sometimes the dms can be a bit triggering for her and because you are you're always in recovery like you mentioned it's not something that just changes in one day does that does that happen to you do you have ways to cope and handle that protect yourself even as you are trying to help other people, but understanding that you also need to, you know, always take your own mental and physical health into account as well. Yeah, no, like I wouldn't necessarily say they're triggering. Like I did generally feel like I've recovered from my eating disorder and I'm really okay. I'm in a really good place that I'm okay. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Let's just say we all go through phases. I think of being subconscious of not feeling a hundred percent, but I'm, I generally, there's nothing that's ever going to push me back there. And there's nothing that triggers me to think that that is a solution anymore. It's not. And I'm very thankful for the team that I've had that got me to this point. And it's been a 12, 13 year battle to get to this point. And even a few years ago, I would say I wasn't quite there. But in terms of that, no triggering. But in terms of, I guess, the overwhelming and when you realise like charity does start at home first, is that I'm so almost too quick to help someone else. So like, I'll give them contacts. I will like go up almost above and beyond to really help them because it's something that like it's the only thing I can really connect with and I would like, as I said before I do anything to someone to, to minimize their pain through like a month less than mine I would do it but it's that when you then done that it's then realizing actually what could you do still to look after yourself too and as I said like a few weeks ago like I was quite low it's sort of maybe I should have like done as been as proactive as I was with those people as yourself and it's it's okay to it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to be like I just ask for help yourself and I think sometimes I'm quicker to act for other people than I am for myself and I think yeah I think that's okay but it's sort of being aware of it and I think I'm now much more aware that when I need to surrender and say okay I just need to take a step back whether it's training whether it's anything really um or even work like I used to get very dragged into work actually take a step back and that's okay too 
So I want to talk to you more about your YouTube channel. (laughs) You have been documenting your triathlon journey for the last year in some really fun videos that are well above the quality of just someone carrying around a GoPro and like, you know, shooting some cell phone selfies and stuff like that. So we talked to Lucy Charles Barclay earlier this year and her sister, who is her videographer. And well, that says a lot, right? She has her own videographer to do her videos. So do you do your videos yourself? Like how much time goes into these? And I guess, did your background working in social media, like help you, you know, be able to do these in a time sensitive manner? I I just imagine it taking so much time to get them to the quality you have them. Well, firstly, thank you that you think they're good quality. I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, It's my, my boyfriend does a bit of filming for me. Um, Like I'll, like even today I said, can you go, I need a bit of B-roll, but it's, I, from my background in social and I am quite creative is I sort of know the video that I want in terms of how I want to put it together, what, what footage I need. This is pretty much going back and working with incredible videographers and editors, <laughs> sort of what I want to put together and how I want it to look. And so I sort of work backwards a bit and then help ask him for a bit of footage, try and get a bit of footage myself and then put together something that for me, I think it's okay. <laughs> it's not Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but I'm glad people think it's okay. But yeah, that's sort of, I guess, how I go about it. And time-wise, it takes a lot of time. Um, I, why there's so much, much, I guess, breaks in my YouTube, which you don't, can YouTube, number one rule is be consistent, not be consistent. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but it's that, from that, is it takes a lot of time to not only have an idea that's worthy of a video but also then getting enough b-roll and footage to try and keep it as I said like this engaging so someone doesn't just be like blabbering on again go somewhere else like actually how to put it together so I was I started well not wanting to take away from everything that I had in the moment which was like good training but I'm working at the time and sort of so when I now have the time is when I now try and be a bit more consistent but as I'm not working I've decided to invest a bit more time into it but it, it was also like that, I guess, like social media um, sort of, I guess it gets, you get tired and you get mentally like, you just don't want to do it anymore. You don't want to put out another video. Like you're like just a bit done. And so I think that's okay too. And I guess, okay, I'm, I'm not playing the algorithm a thousand percent, but I'm okay with that. And so, yeah, I, as long as I have time and it's not taking away from the main, the main aim, which is be healthy and happy, then I'll do it. But yeah, I've got another one I've got to do tomorrow behind, actually behind schedule. <laughs> yeah, because we were going to ask, like, um, you know, with the 70.3 World Championships coming up, are you are you planning to document that whole process? And is it stressful to have a project like that around a world championship? I was, you know, I was just in Hawaii and getting a very um, unprofessional looking reel done is hard. It's harder than you think. There's not much downtime, right? Especially when you have travel like you do. So what are your plans? Are we going to, I mean, it's scenic, at least it is pretty scenic. (laughs) Yes. I've done two sort of like prep ones, which somewhat prep ones. And then tomorrow I'm supposed to do another prep one, which I'm going to do, but more about like fueling. So I've changed my fueling a bit on the bike into this race. Well, over the season to get build to this race and then I do want to do a race week and then obviously I'll do a post race week how much footage I get will be one if Sam gets anything while I'm actually racing (laughs) hard it's not Uh, a good uh course for that I mean it's because it's like you're like all over the place yeah Sam's got his work his his work cut out for I'll just have to get loads of beautiful shots that I just pan over yeah I'm talking (laughs) absolute crap about (laughs) whatever's going on just beautiful views so yeah then I do want to put that together in terms of the stressful like because 
like it is stressful like it is is that when you sit down like oh my god even today I was like I probably should put a reel out (laughs) might do it later if I'm a bit bored on the sofa but is that sometimes you do and like like training even though people like oh it's not that mentally it it does it is mentally draining you do want to just suddenly turn off and put like binge some program and just that is completely mind bogglingly numb (laughs) like you just want to do it and so it's sometimes that and then be like oh god I've got to do that it's like a responsibility right and it's sometimes you're like I just I just can't do it and again like I'm okay with not doing that like I've it's sort of that I've made a decision how I want to do it and if if that means it comes at a cost I don't really want to do it but again I know the rules do as I say not as I do (laughs) so it's sort of that but in terms of into the prep of worlds it may be a bit stressful I'm there but I think because once you're there and you're I'm always that thing you leave your garbage behind when you travel and then once I'm there actually what apart from training and having to register I'll pretty much be staying in our apartment so I might as well do something that I I find quite fun and I don't have to overthink the race like just be a bit creative think about something to edit and like listen to my own voice it bores me to death <laughs> and then do something um but yeah there was awesome. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> and we have said that you're 10 days away or probably more like 11, maybe 11, 12 days, your off season would really officially begin, I guess. So it's so close. You can smell it. So, you know, are there favorite things you like to do non-exercise wise? What's in the off season cart? Like, you know, or do you still exercise a bunch and just change, you know, goals from triathlon away to something else? What's your off season plan look like? Definitely taking a few days off. Definitely. Um, I sort of that. I like, I love structure, don't get me wrong, I love my plan, but it's that actually I, I don't want to have to adhere to it, I don't want to have to adhere to the rules of my plan, like I'm okay with, I just want to turn off and be okay just being, just being me, and being like a normal adult, <laughs> like oh that's weird, um, and not having to I guess have any responsibility when it comes to training, so I will definitely take a few days off, we're, we're actually going to Zion afterwards, which would be lovely to do some, my mum loves hiking, I actually hate hiking, I love running, I just hiking is boring isn't it so I'll probably have to do some hiking I'll be probably chaperoned off to do some hiking um but I think it'll be that'd be super easy and then when I'm home I just want to catch up with friends really and really I guess it's that give back to the people that you sometimes are a bit sort of a bit not you just don't really give them as much time because you're knackered and you want to go to bed at nine and no you don't want to go to dinner again (laughs) on Thursday you know and the sort of I just really want to give back to that and also just yeah be relaxed about it and I'm not sure how long I'll take off I'll definitely take off two weeks of probably I might like cycle to the cafe to have coffee and some cake and cycle home but I don't think I'll be training as such I just sort of I definitely won't be swimming <laughs> I definitely won't go swimming um yeah I might get run just for fun but it will all be on exactly what I want to do so if it if I feel like I actually want to go for a run or actually want to go for a ride or actually want to go for a swim I will <laughs> but if I don't like if I know if I don't train for two three weeks like that's okay like I'm, I'm okay with that uh I will probably have to do my admin though have to do my exercises <laughs> so I'll probably have to do my admin which sucks but hey admin's admin so I'll probably have to do my exercises but apart from that yeah I just really want to take a full mental break and yeah just be really excited about 20 2013 20, 20, not 13 <laughs> <23. Yeah. laughs> what do you have plans for 2023 or is it too soon we'll see how the motivation hits after after the world champs the only plan I have is I'm just changing coach. I'm changing setup next year, which I'm really excited about. Um, and yeah, racing plans and such. Don't know. I'm okay with that. That's cool. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and the coaching changes that so for just different program, different, uh, like being able to 
work with certain athletes or certain camps or anything like that? It's just, yeah, a completely different setup. Um, sort of the plan I have at the moment has been like, let's say, great, it's got me back to here. It's got me super fit. Well, for me, super fit. And like consistent training, which is like the dream. And when I started with my current coach, Mark, it was like back beginning of 2019, I couldn't run for three minutes. And I was like, I just want to race again. Like, can we do that? Like, what's it going to happen? <laughs> so and he like, we've, we've smashed that goal. And like, yeah, he's he's been great. But I sort of really want to take I guess that next step and sort of sort of build on the fitness that I have and really trying to actually turn it a bit more into performance if that makes sense and I generally don't think I've ever been in a position to actually work on performance I've always thought I had that's not lie. I thought I was in that position to work on performance but actually I wasn't necessarily healthy I wasn't necessarily fit I was sort of trying to wing it a lot so I think now I do want to take that sort of I guess a different step and a different sort of approach to, to training a bit more scientific a bit more looking under the, the hood and also mentally being okay with that I think before I would have not necessarily mentally been a good place to try and be a bit pedantic I think <laughs> actually that wasn't a good idea but now yeah I'm just super excited about it and also just hold myself accountable and be a bit more objective so, yeah, and where we'll are you headed do you are you allowed to say or is it like a special yeah. reveal yeah I know uh, a guy called Patrick Marseille it's part of the HYCYS coaching group, which Kat Matthews is coach as part of. Okay, cool. Well, we look forward to following you in St. George and as well as in the 2023 uh, season. Thank you so much, Eloise, for joining us today. No, thank you so much. And yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you to Eloise for sharing her story and big congratulations to her. She did race in the 70.3 world championship this past weekend and finished 35th, her first pro appearance at that race. And we look forward to following her in the years to come. Well, Haley, I think it's time to get out the candy bowl and you can eagerly await some potential trick-or-treaters. Yes, I know. Maybe, maybe we have a couple, but, um, should, it's a fun, fun holiday. And you know, if, if I don't get that many trick-or-treaters having a little leftover candy, isn't, isn't the worst thing in the world. No, definitely not. Definitely not. But, um, I look forward to next week. You can tell me about the, the good costumes you saw, if you got any, but good luck with your training, getting ready for Daytona. And I'll talk to you, talk to you next week. Bye Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.